A little bouncer slowly toward Bryant. He will glove it and throw to Rizzo. It's in time. And the Chicago Cubs win the World Series. I remember running home from school, turning on the TV to the Cubs game, sitting with my dad to watch his heroes. Welcome to the World Series Dreaming Chicago Cubs Dreamcast, now hanging out with Obstructive View. We are not affiliated with the actual Chicago Cubs, but we're just a bunch of fans who love the local nine and talking baseball, including the 2016 World Series champion Cubs. Good day. This is again with me are Jeff and Skip from Obstructive View, and we're just hanging out after a brief hiatus because there was the Fourth of July. How are you guys doing? Like, did you enjoy your week off, or at least a few days off? <laughs> it was good. Yeah, we actually got back from a trip on the third, and so we pretty much slept on the fourth. <laughs> That's a good plan. I, I think I kind of miss sleep, but. <laughs> We did get a new puppy, and we're doing all right. So I guess uh, we are recording right now as the All-Star Game is being played, and unfortunately the National League is on a very prolonged losing streak. But we can talk about that, home run derby and so forth. Turning our attention to the Cubs, we can talk about, you know, the rotation stuff, whether if Jamison Tyon finally figures something out or if it was just one of those things that happens. Where the Cubs are right now, can they realistically buy or do they still have to sell or is it too close to call? And we can also talk a little bit about the draft. You guys have been talking a lot about this immaculate grid thing, which I am still trying not to play because I will literally run out of time to do anything else. And well, there's, there's just, only one a day, so uh, you just do it and you're done. That's true. It's kind of like Wordle then. Okay. And then the second half outlook before deadline, maybe building for the future, whether it's this October or next, preferably this one. So how's that for a plan, Phelps? I love this plan. I'm excited to be a part of it. Let's do it. Sounds good. Let's do it. Yeah, sounds good. As the spring gave away to summer, past the ivy-colored dreams, toward the days that kept us I forgot if it was last year or the year before, basically right after the pandemic, but they switched from the teams wearing their own team uniforms to just like a general all-star jersey. And it's kind of icky. I kind of miss seeing all the teams in their different jerseys, right? So that you knew which team each player came from. Do they still wear the hats at least? Or is it it like an all-star game hat even now? From what I could tell, it was a standard hat for the entire team. Yeah, that's lame. You know, they keep bragging about these uniforms, of course, because it's you got to promote them. But, man, I, I don't think they've had really any good ones yet. I don't think they're – in fact, I think a lot of the City Connect uniforms are way better than any of the All-Star uniforms have been since they went to this standardized uniform. Yeah, I don't, I don't pay attention to the All-Star game, so – like, I think the all-star jerseys kind of blended with, like, the national team jerseys and, and other things, too. So, like, I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe people at the game might buy an all-star jersey, but I don't really know where the where the market is otherwise. 
I got I got nothing against buying jerseys, but I don't know why I would ever buy an all-star jersey. That's probably true. I don't know why I would either, because I kind of stand for the team that I'm rooting for rather than just a general all-star team. One thing I will remark on, though, is I think this is the only all-star game out of all the major sports where you're actually allowed to play defense and do it well. Because, you know, in football, in the Pro Bowl, you're not allowed to, like, destroy anybody. It's just kind of like a glorified touch football almost, right? I mean, it literally is touch football now, I think, right? Or or flag football as of uh, this year. Is it flag football? I didn't watch the Pro Bowl. I I think they finally switched to that. (laughs) I think even at the player's suggestion. Okay. Well, that's interesting. Like, it's basically not the same game. And the same with, like, the NBA. Like, nobody's going to stop LeBron James from doing a breakaway dunk uh, or trying to hard foul him, right? Or even in hockey, you know, like the the goaltender is basically hung out to dry because nobody's going to check anybody else on the boards. But here, <laughs> like, it's not as contacty. It's just basically, can I make a play on the ball? And uh, in this all-star game already, we've seen two spectacular, like, at-the-wall catches. So, yeah, I, I think it's a lot more fun when you are actually allowed to play defense. Yeah, I'd say that's right. Baseball All-Star game, you know, there's still a little bit of silliness to it or whatever, but uh, at least it looks like the game that we watch the rest of the time. And I love the defense. And a lot of times there's really great defense to plays in in, in there. So I, I think you're right, Ken. I think you've nailed that one. Yeah, I think there's a little thing uh, uh, during the broadcast, too. Unfortunately, we're blacked out, like Jeff and I are both blacked out because we can't hook in through MLB.tv because this name is on Fox and Fox wants you to watch Fox, right? But from what I could tell, just like following the game on Twitter and or what remains of Twitter, that they've had a few guys mic'd up and it's been a lot of fun. And I know that they've been trying to do that more frequently for even regular season games and maybe some postseason games. And I hope that doesn't really distract from them having to make, you know, the plays in the field. But it, it seems like it's a really good experience, allows you to kind of connect with the players and the players to connect with fans. Yeah, I don't mind that in All-Star game. I hate it when they do it during the regular season. But exhibition games, yeah, sure, whatever. Some of it could depend on the announcers. Like, I remember the, the Cubs that were on, like, a, I think it's when they played the Marlins. They they had a game on Peacock, and they had, I think, Jazz Chisholm mic'd up. Like, like during his at-bad stuff, which normally would be pretty cool. But, man, the announcers were just in his ear the entire time. Like, I, <laughs> like luckily... Uh, you know, he, he he was pretty chill and kind of rolled with it, but I would find that really annoying if I was, you know, even if my job was to, you know, kind of be more public facing and, you know, try to, uh, you know, promote baseball. Man, it just seems like it'd be really annoying to have someone just asking you questions in the middle of trying to hit a baseball, which is really hard. So, Jeff, you're telling me that you you wouldn't appreciate, you know, uh, if you were on TV and and everybody was watching you run mathematical models, uh, having somebody in your ear asking you about how it's going? Yeah, no, that wouldn't be very much fun. Because I guess you'd have to switch brain from, you know, what you're actively trying to do and then trying to also accommodate a conversation that doesn't work even for uh, allegedly intelligent people with PhDs. No, I mean, literally, I, I can't listen to music with lyrics when I'm working because having people talking is too distracting <laughs> or saying words. But I might be the exception of that one. Because I was going to say that it takes something like 300 milliseconds to switch brain tracks from task to task. And 
uh, within those milliseconds, you have to actually decide whether I'm going to swing or not. So you, you kind of hope that, you know, the announcers are more cognizant of that in the future. If they, that's something that they're going to do, at least wait for like the 15 seconds between pitches to do something rather than the pitch itself. Right. But uh, yeah, I, I, I don't think it's a good idea to do it with someone who is an active at bat and needs to like dive out of the way of a wayward pitch, you know? Yeah. I mean, at the first, I mean, it's kind of nice too, because it kind of mixes it up for the manager interviews, which are always like cliche and boring. But the All-Star game seems like the perfect kind of time to, to do this because, you know, who cares if you uh, win or not? <laughs> but not not that the whole AL versus NL thing, I think, really, really got people that, uh, or I mean, like the World Series, home field Havana stuff, re- really got people that motivated. But now it means even less other than just dudes just go have fun. Yeah, that's what the game's supposed to be anyway. Speaking of fun, do you guys watch the Home Run Derby? Or at least, like, you know, the snippets that they posted on socials? There were some, like, super laughable uh, home runs that just, I, I guess, Safeco or whatever they call the, the was it T-Mobile or Safeco? I, I don't I think, I think it's T-Mobile now. Yeah, but uh, it's notoriously hard to hit home runs out, and I guess uh, they uh, decided to juice the baseballs just for this event or else the guys are really that strong or, you know, the batting practice pitchers are really that good to groove one, except if they're, you know, pitching against Pete Alonso. He he had to deal with a lot of movement, apparently. But, yeah, this uh, new format is really fun, but there are some people who don't like it and want to go back to the old format where it's based on 10 outs rather than you know time swings so what do you guys think like which format would you prefer what what did they change it was you had to swing every 10 seconds or something or so the new format or or the the current format is um you have a certain amount of time and uh essentially it's hit as many home runs as you can within a certain amount of time and if you hit a home run over 440 feet. I think, I guess if you hit two of them, then you get an extra minute. I don't know if they did away with the rule about the current ball that's in the air has to land before the, the batting practice pitcher can throw the, the next pitch or not. It, it didn't really look like it to me. I think at this point, the batting pra- practice pitcher can keep throwing as much as they want. So I did watch, you know, like I didn't, I didn't see the very beginning, but I, I watched, you know, the, probably the end of the first round and in the, the semis and the finals. And although I was also doing crossword puzzles and other things at the same time, because I find the home run derby <laughs> kind of kind of boring with the exception of um, Rodriguez for, for the, for the Mariners. And that guy, he hit 41 and whatever the, the three minutes or something that he got, I guess he got a bonus. So maybe four minutes. And I'll tell you what, his batting practice pitcher um, had a totally different approach than all the others because he didn't wind up. He didn't, I mean, he had hardly any motion. He got the ball and he just threw it with his arm and it was in almost exactly the same place for, for Rodriguez to hit it the entire time. And that's how, you know, in the, in the first round he got 41 homers. And then I think the thing was is that he was so tired after that that you know he he didn't make it through the second round which i think is as i recall from previous home run derbies is is pretty common if you get a big number early on you sort of tire yourself out for later but you know you have to have the most to advance so you know you're you don't have much choice but the the my complaint with it is it seemed like at least 
last night, there were two or three balls in the air at the same time. It was hard to follow them all. And the camera work, um, you know, because you can't you can't follow multiple balls at the same time. You're just trying to guess where it was going in the stands. And then you'd see this one and then, you know, you'd sort of miss the next one. You know, they had a split screen where the camera was on the batter from behind the, the batting practice pitcher. But then the other the other split was just sort of seeing, you know, the, the people in the stands. And so you never really got much of a sense of how the balls were flying, except for a little bit of a stat cast thing that came up, which that I actually thought was pretty good because you could see the launch angle and the velocity that they hit the ball with. And you could kind of almost say, okay, that's going to be a home run. That's going to be a home run just with the stat cast thing. So that I thought was kind of cool. But I really think they need to do a better job of helping the viewer track the ball. I mean, I I didn't watch it this year, but it, it's always been an issue when uh, I've watched in the past. It's just the way that they broadcasted it. It must just be such a weird broadcast to do because, like, there's a lot of action. But, but you know, speaking of people getting tired i mean you know how many home run calls could you do as an announcer too <laughs> i mean like when you, when you watch 40 home runs i mean it, it, it's an impressive feat but like you know calling 40 home runs is kind of like uh they just say oh there's one. Oh, that one's going to be out you know it, it's that quick yeah because it's rapid fire at that point because uh it's no longer just numbers it's uh it's an endurance contest and you have to do it fast because it's not the 10 miles thing anymore, right? It does help it go a little faster. I think that that's important. But I feel like uh, they could do a hybrid where the original is you have those two or three minutes. But if you get bonus time, that's not time. That's 10 outs for you to destroy the ball as far as you can. And then you get like uh, bonuses on home runs, uh, pure numbers, and also distance. Yeah, it's good they made it a little faster just because uh, it definitely went on way too long in the past. But I guess that's kind of the theme of this season in general. (laughs) I think it went on plenty long last night anyway. I can't remember what time it ended up, but 1030 or something like that. Uh, I'm not even sure, but there was plenty. There was plenty of home run hitting. The the number was 26 miles worth of home runs, and... I forgot the exact number of total home runs, but 26 miles is quite a bit. It's like but <laughs> Seattle to like Puget Sound or something like that. I, I don't actually know that geography. But <laughs> speaking of geography, they probably should give these uh, announcers like a map and the orientation of the stadium so they actually know where these <laughs> these uh, homers are pointed to. So they're like, yeah, this one's going to Vancouver. That's probably true. Because Vancouver is just north of Seattle, and I think the the ballpark faces east from home plate down the line to second. But, you know, at least know your geography in that area if you're going to make a claim like that. Don't all ballparks have to face uh, northeast, or am I uh, misremembering if that's actually a rule? You might be right. I, I don't actually know if there's like a convention, but I guess we could look it up. And in the meantime, while we look that up, uh, you guys can tell me a little bit more about this Immaculate Grid thing, because I've been seeing it all over the place. It's fun. Yeah, it's like Wordle for baseball. And definitely a a let's remember some guys game. So I'm convinced that people must be cheating, considering how many people and the statistics they have at the end get get the full nine. But 
you know, as as I played it more, I'm like, well, I'm getting a lot of like answers from when I played fantasy baseball, like the early 2000s. I'm like, oh, maybe they're just all fantasy baseball players. <laughs> they actually know these rosters. <laughs> you know, Jeff, I, I still play fantasy baseball and I'm terrible at it. I also am not going to baseball reference and looking up uh, team rosters and things either. I'm just like, well, I think Terry Mulholland played for the Giants, and I know he played for the Braves, so I'm going to guess that. Oh, yeah, 0.04% of the people did guess that too, and it was right. How about that? Well, surely (laughs) this other one's right. Oh, no, it's not at all. But, you, you know, Ken, in, in terms of, uh, I mean, unless you're really going to like, like try to look up all the answers or anything, it, I don't spend more than five minutes on it. You know, it's it's a coffee break or, you know, I got a few minutes to kill before I leave the house in the morning. And um, that, that's as much time as I put on it. Yeah, I guess that's fair. I also saw because Jeff posted about it and then I saw it later that uh, baseball reference, the sports reference people actually acquired Immaculate Grid, and they're thinking of doing Immaculate Grid for the other sports as well. So that I, might be a very interesting thing, yeah. I know there's definitely an NFL one, because I've seen some of the NFL writers tweeting about it. Well, I'm not going to play any of the other ones, because I'd, I'd, you know, I'd be lucky to get one. Yeah, I'd have a much harder time, too. When it comes to teams like, I don't know, like the Royals or the Astros, I always have a terrible time uh, finding, <laughs> finding players that have played on multiple teams. So the thing I just posted in the chat, it shows you the ballpark orientations. And for the most part, Jeff, you are correct. The rule, I think is rule 1.04. It tells you that it's desirable to have it face east, northeast or something like that, but it's not required. So there are some ballparks that like face south. I think there are stipulations for certain ballparks who have to deal with like prevailing wind patterns or something. But uh, Safeco Field, if you kind of take a look at it, the left field foul line, it actually points due north. So I think that's that's kind of interesting. And in that case, if a right-handed hitter was to pull the ball, it would actually go to Vancouver. Yeah, assuming you know, that gravity didn't exist. <laughs> I say, or, or, or hit it at a miserable fraction of the speed of light. <laughs> One of the last things that uh, we could talk about the All-Star break for before we head over to Cubs proper is the Futures game. And I didn't actually watch a lot of that, but I did see, you know, the box score. Pete Crow Armstrong and BJ Murray were there and they didn't necessarily do so hot offensively. They got you know, to play in the field, and then they did their half game, and then they were done, right? But it was nice to have that experience and have, like, the representation. I think they both deserved it, and I feel like the consensus was almost that PCA, he's performed so well that he probably doesn't go back to Tennessee. He ends the all-star break going back to Iowa. Uh, I haven't heard any news about that, but I, I wonder if that's going to be the case. Yeah, that'd be pretty cool. I mean, I think he's been doing pretty well at Tennessee, so why not now to promote him? I don't think he's ready for the bigs, but sending him to Iowa would probably be good. According to the Iowa Cubs uh, website, he'll be there just in time for Dollar Dog Night, um, which, of course, is super important. Seems to me like their outfield is pretty crowded. I imagine, depending on who is actually in the outfield and given 
that like I, I I think Brennan Davis had has another setback right, and that, that kind of sucks for him. So they could essentially IL him. I, I don't actually know if minor leagues has a sixty day, but that's one way for them to clear a spot for Pete if that's the way to decide to go. Yeah, he's already on the IL, the seven day IL, which is the the standard minor league IL, um, and that's always been kind of a mystery to me in terms of how many people you can have on a team that are on the IL. And half the time, at least when I'm watching the Pelicans, we don't even know who's really on the IL or not. But um, but looking at it, it's Darius Hill, Jonathan Perlaza, and Nelson Velasquez. So I guess Jake Slaughter, Chase Strumpf playing a little bit of, of outfield too. So I, I, guess, uh, I guess it's not as crowded as I thought. Maybe because some of those guys have already been up and down a few times. Yeah, I don't think any of those guys are going to be blocking uh, PCA because nope. they'll, they'll make room. <laughs> yeah, definitely. If uh, he needs the time and he's earned the promotion, they will find a way to make room. <laughs> Speaking of making room, uh, you, you guys know, you know, recently uh, in the last few years, MLB basically squashed 40 minor league affiliates, much to the chagrin of their communities and the minor league owners, and probably the players' union as well. And I don't recall exactly the wording, but it sounds like they are going to restrict the number of players that can be on any in any given organization. So the number of roster spots on each minor league club that remains is going to shrink. So that probably plays into the new draft being only 20 rounds instead of 40 like it used to be and even more way back when because I I guess you know Mike Piazza was a 60 second round pick back when those things happened but now we only get 20 rounds and it just so happens that the Cubs had 20 rounds and 20 picks and they uh, had a very interesting strategy so I tried to write that up like I'm definitely not as good at this anymore as a lot of the prospect perverts, as it were, because uh, I simply don't have the time. So that's why I rely a lot on on what they say. But it seems to me like they have a good pitching infrastructure now. They don't need as much pitching. They ha- can't afford to kind of swing for position players. And that seems to be what they wanted to do. It was basically half and half, like 11 position guys nine pitchers and very few of the top 10 were actually pitchers. So that was kind of interesting to me because it used to be that they like in one draft recently, they basically loaded up on nothing but pitchers. And I guess that's how they were able to shore up the pitching infrastructure. I'm amazed that even like professional MLB teams could go 20 rounds deep, let alone any of the, the prospect nerds, like, I'm glad they reduced it from 40 to 20 rounds, but I think 20 rounds is also probably too long. You know, what was interesting to me is that, um, you know, uh, was it last year or maybe three years ago where they drafted like 17 pitchers and three position players? And I feel like it was like, it was, it was like one position player on their first pick and then like the next 12 picks were all pitchers, something like that. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I guess some of those guys are still filtering through, um, but, you know, after a draft like that, it seems like a lot of your roster spots are taken up by pitchers. What surprised me, and I haven't had a, a chance to really dive into this today since it since it was just today, um, but the day two 
you know, normally you see a lot of seniors, college seniors on day two because they're easy to sign. They didn't really have as many as I expected, also because they're super cheap on the on the bonus, right? And so then you can save some of that money for some of the high school kids you want to try to buy out of college. At least, I mean, that's true for the first for the first 10 rounds. And they didn't really seem to do that. So it, it, it seems more like they've just decided this year, okay, we're just going to go with our slot and get the best person we can, you know, and that person will call them in advance to make sure they'll sign. And that's the strategy. Yeah, I I was actually thinking because when when I looked at MLB.com, because I know nothing about the these players, right? Only the first five were in like the top 150 or top 200, so they get little blurbs on MLB.com because uh, Jonathan Mayo and and Jim Callis would have said something about them, right? And then the next 15 had nothing, so I was kind of like, well. If I knew nothing about that and MLPs not caring about them, maybe those guys are under slot. But it turns out that the number seven pick, his name is Yahil Melendez, a uh, shortstop from a Puerto Rican high school, it seemed like. And he's actually getting an overslot bonus. So they're not going as many like sign or you get nothing kind of seniors. They're they're actually using some of that slot, like you said, to get interesting players. So I, I'm looking at the first five rounds, and those are all the guys who actually have the blurbs and have very intriguing uh, profiles. And I think one of the pitchers that they they got, uh, Jackson Wiggins, kind of reminded me of what they did with Kate Horton, where you know he was coming back from uh, Tommy John and he's throwing fast and he's a projectable pitcher, but because of the injury and the missed time, you know, like we're going to try to save some money. And take a shot at him because if he comes back and he's healthy and everything, he then becomes what we see of Kate Horton now. I think that was clearly the strategy on Wiggins, considering that he's, uh, he, you know, I think he just had his surgery back in March or something like that. So he won't be pitching until next season, but that seems about the right timeline. The Cubs often will pick up a Puerto Rican player. Um, since I used to live in Puerto Rico, I, I pay attention to that a little bit. Puerto Rican baseball academies. Yeah, I guess they have a lot of just uh, random prep academies just for this purpose. Just kind of cool. Like, I hope they give them, like, you know, other skill sets in case this just doesn't work out because the numbers are just against you making it into MLB. But it's kind of cool that these opportunities exist for those guys. But yep. Javi also played baseball in Florida after emigrating because I, I think a lot of folks do that. Like if they have a really good opportunity and they have good talent, they just decide, you know, I'm not staying on the island. I'm going to go to the mainland. And, you know, Florida being, being what it is now, you don't know how good of an idea that is. But, uh, you know, it, it's just like you can always go to California, too. Uh, California is perfect weather most of the time for for baseball when it's not on fire so well there are more puerto ricans that live in the in the actual 50 united states than there than there are that live on the island anymore and many there are probably two million puerto ricans that live in florida maybe more um but in in the orlando area and and along i-4 i think it is and so everybody has family in in florida pretty much so it's you know there's 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 good opportunities to go back and forth if if that works for you baseball wise. Very convenient. 
All right. Let's uh, shift our fo- focus to the big league Cubs because these guys are drafted probably won't be on the team for a couple of years at least. So you guys probably uh, got to see at least part of the Yankee series and Jamison Tyone until the Cubs made like a, a spirited comeback in the rubber match looked like the only guy who was going to win a game, which hasn't happened this year, right? Because the dread was that if Tyone was pitching and he hasn't figured it out yet, then that was probably a game that we were going to lose. And it turned out that he had pretty good contact management. He kept the ball in the park. He only had four strikeouts, but generally he looked really good and he ate eight innings. And that uh, that was far more than he's done most of the year. So the hope is that he's finally turned the corner. And if that's the case, then we have something to build on in the second half. I mean, it would, it would be great, but uh, it was great to see him have a great game. But I'll, I'll need a few more starts before uh, I start feeling good about Tyone again. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's, he certainly showed the talent that he's got. And man, that was an amazing game. I, I watched a lot of that and, and uh, he was on fire. I thought... I thought, okay, after the sixth, they're going to pull him. And then he kept going, and he went all the way through the eighth. And, and, and honestly, he was still on it pretty good by the eighth inning, too. So, But there was no reason to run him out just to see if he could blow it at that point. On the other hand, I, I guess like Marcus Stroman was selected for the All-Star game. He definitely deserved it, but he's had a couple of clunkers in, in the past few starts. And I was wondering like is that like a function of him getting tired because he elected not to go to the ulcer game he elected to rest instead and I, i'm wondering if that's the case like he's getting into a period of not so reported dead arm and he's, he just needs time to recover to go back to the marcus stroman we were used to seeing in the first half that just ate, ate up quality start after quality start he might not strike out everybody but he's just keeping the ball on the ground. He's keeping the ball in the park, generating lots of outs and eating up all those innings. Didn't he have a blister a few starts ago? This this could have been like a month ago, and I just have no concept of time. No, I think it was either two or three starts ago he started to get a blister or a hot spot. Yeah, maybe maybe that could be part of it too. But yeah, I'm not super worried about Sherman. I'm not either, you know, and and I I do think that blister probably um, had something to do with that, and and him not pitching in the All Star game is, uh, you know, gives him extra time for that to heal up, and you know everybody's going to have a few clunkers, um, unless you're Jake Arrieta from a certain year, uh, <laughs> but, uh, but most most everybody's going to have a few. I mean, honestly, I thought the, with the exception of Smiley, the rotation seems to have settled down. Right. Hendricks has come back and he's looked really good, particularly since he started calling his own pitches on it's whatever good. the Tyone at least is, has, you know, put in a good start recently now. And uh, of course, uh, Steele and Stroman look good. Some of the bullpen seems to be settling in a little bit. So, you know, you could you could kind of see sort of like last year where the, the, the Cubs are better in the second half than the first half. It seemed for them to like it like it took them a while to figure things out in the first half and maybe they're kind of you know beginning to turn that corner again it's really hard to know what to make of this team i was talking about it with uh, some of my softball teammates who are cardinals and white Sox fans they're like just what is the deal with the cubs i was like i couldn't tell you i mean they're better than their record but i don't know what that means 
for the rest of the year. Personally, I don't don't think they should sell, but or at least selfishly, I should say, because I because I like a lot of the guys that they would sell. I mean, they they could they could go on a run in the second half. You know, if they make the playoffs, that'd be great. But then I don't expect them to go far if they did. But they're just cromulent again, and that's uh, that's all I wanted. Now I have kind of ambivalent feelings about it. <laughs> yeah, if there were actual expectations, I think we'd be a little more pissed off. But uh, right now, it's just kind of like, well. They just split a series against Milwaukee. That kid could have easily won if not for X, Y, and Z. But that's just baseball, right? And really, based on that and how they, they've they played a few other teams, like the Cubs aren't that much worse than the Milwaukee Brewers. And the Milwaukee Brewers definitely aren't that good. They are definitely flawed. And it, it's been three, four months, and still the Central is up for grabs. Like, they're only, what, like seven games back, which sounds like a lot, but really isn't uh, based on where the, we are in the calendar. And in the second half, you're probably going to get some reinforcements. You're probably going to be able to promote a, a few prospects, like a Matt Mervis, after he's learned how to adjust, maybe. Like, I, I don't know how much more he can do in Iowa mashing against, you know, minor league pitching. But at some point, somebody is going to get traded. And it might be Cody Bellinger. It might, like, I, I know, Skip, you're, you're annoyed about this, but I've seen Kyle Hendricks's name in the uh, rumors. And it makes sense because he basically is on that option year after this year. And that is a selling point. Like you have the chance to not make Kai Hendricks a rental. You have the chance to make him work for you past this current season. So there, there are assets. And I think that they're in a position where they're basically not going to sell too much because there's a core evolving as we speak. But at the same time, uh, there, there are considerations for not just next year, but for the far future, right? So what irritates me about that, Ken, is that what about the considerations for the near future and not the far future? Because we've been doing the far future considerations for the last few years, right? That's why we got rid of Bryant and Baez and Contreras. And, well, I guess we didn't really get rid of him. But, you know, and Rizzo and all the rest of those guys. Kyle Hendricks is, if if I remember right, his his option is like $14 million. And if he keeps pitching the way he has been then that's a steal and the Cubs would be dumb to to get rid of that because they've got to have somebody to fill that role right and and you can't have too many people in in that sense right I mean when you look at AAA there's some guys coming up yeah Kate Horton maybe will be ready next year maybe Caleb Killian will finally figure it out maybe Keegan Thompson we haven't heard anything from him in like three months maybe maybe he, he turns it around and and you know whatever his issues are injury is or whatever it is that that gets worked out but um they're still going to have to go on the off season and they're still going to have holes in the rotation they're still going to have to sign people and you're not going to find anybody that's probably better and cheaper that that combination than kyle hendricks and so you better get i mean and and the thing is are you is somebody going to offer you a big star for kyle hendricks no so you'd be better off getting you know keeping him at this point because next year you know we should be more competitive than this year right and if we trade stroman and if we trade smiley there's already two holes in the rotation and you know smiley hadn't been that great lately 
but he's the kind of guy that a Minnesota or, or somebody doesn't want to pay a lot would, would probably pick up and hope that um, he'd do okay. So I just feel like we're to the point now in the rebuild that we need to start keeping some of the guys that we still have control on uh, because we we can't just continue with a roster turn, and that just doesn't seem realistic to me if we want to win. I agree that that probably not going to get too much from from anyone other than maybe Stroman if they trade him, just because Stroman would probably be the best available pitcher if the Cubs make him available. Other than like Otani, but I don't think that the Angels are going to trade him. Like they might be able to get someone credible for um, Bellinger or Stroman, but even then, it's only for half a season for both those guys. So who knows? But but then again, I, you you know how I feel about minor league players, so I'd rather the Cubs just keep them. <laughs> I think that's fair. We have until August first. What record does the Cubs have to have? Like, how close do they have to be to 500? Do they actually need to be darn near leading the division for the front office to say, we got to keep everybody and let's trade some of these prospects for, you know, a different catcher or something crazy like that? I mean, I, I don't really see the Reds falling back. I mean, I, I don't know. This, this is probably a cut but answer, but I, I'd rather them just stay with what they have, maybe see if they could trade for a reliever and then just kind of. See what happens. So I, I guess being 500 in some ways is the worst place you can be, but I'm also tired of watching losing Cubs teams. So maybe I'm a uh, irrational fan. I think if they're at 500 or a little below 500, they'll probably trade Bellinger and they'll, the, and they may trade some of their other kind of one year rental guys. And I'm fine with that. You know, Fulmer's probably out. And I mean, even a guy like Merriweather could be could be traded, but you won't get very much for him. But but I, I guess I'm with Jeff. I, I, you know, the, the fan in me says if you've got, you know, you, you could trade. A, a, maybe maybe they're in one of these positions where they trade a few guys, but they also pick up a few guys um, or they trade uh, major league talent for major league talent. Would be different, but happens occasionally. I mean, I think this this team has already shown enough potential that they that they shouldn't really just empty it out again. Yeah, I don't think they're gonna empty out the the cupboard or anything. Actually, there there are probably a few guys that they just get rid of. To be honest, Patrick Wisdom has been scuffling. His roster spot could be given to someone else. At some point, you know, they have to look at Tucker Barnhart and say, maybe we just let you go so that we don't keep carrying three catchers and kind of hamstring what we can do defensively, things like that. So I, I feel like there are things that could be done that don't necessarily require trade. It just requires some reshuffling. Uh, but maybe that's something that we can explore uh, closer to the trade deadline because, you know, we got to see uh, who are the Cubs going to be able to sign from their draft? How is the outlook going to be as they play? Like the, the really interesting thing about this, and I think Jeff keeps complaining about this with the new schedule, is the Cubs are done with the Cardinals at the end of July. Like there, there are no more Cardinals games after July 30th or so. So I think they've already dealt with like the big, big time uh, NL West teams. They will probably play Arizona at some point and the Giants again uh, later on this year. But still, being able to tally up all those series wins is encouraging. And I think, like what you said, Skip, like they've shown enough that 
it should give them pause to basically do a full on teardown. And I don't think they're going to do one anyway because of signing Dansby Swanson and everybody else doing the extensions. But uh, I I do think that they're going to do kind of a mini sell and then see what happens the rest of the, the year because of the fact that they are in the NL Central and also the NL kind of sucks. I mean, the the real galaxy brain thing would be for them to trade for a bunch of guys who'll be around for longer and then use that to try to entice uh, Shohei Otani. Not that I think that would ever happen, but the, 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 along those lines, my old complaint uh, also stands that, boy, this team could really use a pitcher like you, uh, Darvish. Man, it's too bad they never had a shot at getting him. I, I will never understand that trade. And at this point, that trade is you, Darvish, for Owen Casey. Uh, all the rest of the guys have pretty much washed out on that. There, there's one or two that are still in the of the four they got. I know one is completely out of baseball now. One looks like he's about out. One is kind of stagnating, and then there's Owen Casey. So we'll see. I know they said it was a they had to save money during COVID and stuff, but um, that's a real that's still a real head scratcher. Um, particularly, they probably could have gotten something better later. But to go back to your question, Ken, what what would the number be? I think they've got to be within five games of first place, but uh, to really be buyers, or at least or at least not sellers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, they're only seven games back, so. Five games is doable. Like if they can basically tread water a little bit and do, you know, the the NBA thing where, you know, they're on a run, you do a defensive stop and now you make a run yourself. But let's make a run with the schedule. Right. So if we're looking at the schedule, it's the Red Sox, which are suddenly kind of good even though they're in the AL East and the AL East, like every single team is better than the AL Central. <laughs> so they're, they're kind of in a bad situation, but they're not a bad team. And then you got the revenge series against the nationals. You have a series against the white Sox. You have those eight games against the Cardinals. Those are basically like, if you can win 60% of those games, that gives you quite, quite a bit of momentum going in, I think. Might have to win more. I don't know. But uh, 60 percent seems doable. Well, and and to be honest, we have had a pretty tough schedule um, fairly recently. And so I think 60 percent of the next 18 games is 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 doable as as long as the bullpen doesn't explode like it was earlier in the year. And if the guys can actually drive guys in when they get on second or third then we'll be in sh- in good shape, right? So if they actually play good baseball, we'll win 60%. <laughs> yeah, it's certainly doable, and I hope it happens. But uh, we, we can come back uh, next week or the week after, look at the situation again, and just see how everybody's doing. Thank you for joining me today uh after your vacations and you know we got to go back to work i gotta edit this thing but uh yeah uh thanks for hanging out with me during this all-star game uh did you guys get to follow justin Steele's uh inning he he didn't start the game uh, zach gallon did but i guess they had a, a good enough reason to do that because gallon's pretty darn good but Steele had a pretty clean inning other than the one single that he gave up, like he had a strikeout as well. So I, I feel like 
he he had a good experience and he got to do it with his kid too and that's that's probably like a really cool thing for any father to do just to have their kid experience something that they really enjoy does steel have a kid that's really old enough to get it at this point no i don't think uh well technically the kid probably has a frontal lobe but whether it's fully developed or not is another story <laughs> uh, i think he just turned one and okay. uh interestingly they they have the same birthday which was kind of cool so they got to celebrate the all-star game on daddy's birthday <laughs> and his birthday so you might remember in pictures but you know it's a cute kid that that is pretty cool yeah that's awesome so once again thank you guys for hanging out with the dreamcast uh you can find us of course on what remains of twitter and also on facebook uh you know, depending on who wins the steel cage death match between Elon Musk and Mark Zuckerberg, uh, we might have to go on one and not the other. But the website is still at obstructiveview.net. You can find all of us on Twitter in one form or another or on any other socials. Uh, you can email us at worldseriesdreaming at gmail.com. Find us on Apple Podcasts, write and review. And also share us with your friends. Uh, we'd like to thank Rich Deanna for a theme song and Randall Sanders for pulling the final out call from the 2016 World Series. Any last words, gentlemen? Woo, go National League, I guess. Yeah, they have a yeah. shot. So thanks, guys. And go Cubs. Go National League. I got to walk the dog. Go Cubs. More than just a game.